Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Bash Bros Podcast. My name is Brett Nelson and like every other episode of this fabulous show, I'm joined by my brother from another mother. How's it going, Corey B? Woo, yeah, you can't get rid of me. Every episode, I keep coming I try. back. I try I to get rid of you. Also, the Star City Games circuit, the tour, can't get yeah. rid of you either. Oh, no, I'm sticking around both your podcast, your life, and the SCG tour. You got it. Yeah, you are crushing on there. But before we <laughs> Thanks, get into dude. that... I do want to say to all of our listeners out there that you can find this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitchers. Great. We got that out of the way. Nailed it. We also got out of the way talking about you top eighting another tournament because that's getting boring. Yeah, I know. It's, it's the same story week after week. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, about week. New inf- we're about new information, so let's just move on. Yeah, and so, for well, and that, that's perfect because that gets us to our topic of the week. We're going to do a deep dive on Urza and Modern. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's go. I have a sideboard guide dated from last week. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was no bands, right? All right. No. Nah, I'm joking. Nah. We're going to be talking about standard decks uh, since Theros Beyond Death is coming out this week. The show is actually going up on um, Wednesday during the streamer spotlight. So if you have some time, go out there and watch a lot of your your favorite streamers. I know, Corey, you're going to be playing it. I might be playing it. And there might yep. be somebody else that's playing in it, which is our special guest. Now, given that Theros is about escaping the other world, I thought it'd be great to bring in someone who escaped my basement. Oh, you let, how did you let him out? I thought you had cages around it, Brad. Well, somehow he escaped. I don't know Jeez. the cost, but it must have been steep. All right. Without yeah. further ado. I bet he has introduce- some devotion to yeah. that. <laughs> Brian it. How's it going, BBD? Four cards, Brad. <laughs> it's four cards four cards is what it took me to escape this basement <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which it's funny because when i finally give you back your urza deck it'll have four banned cards in it that is right yeah <laughs> four cards and also my soul is all it took <laughs> but fortunately i had already sold that so and what'd right. you give to brad huh and what'd you give to brad if you gave him your soul uh his, his soul. My soul. Oh, oh, of course, of course. Well, we're going to be talking, speaking of flavor fails, we're going to be talking about, <laughs> about Standard. And I want to bring up one of the most horrible parts of Theros Beyond Death. Now, people give Wizards such a hard time, and I don't think it actually is that that uh, that great. And I'm, I'm going to go on my soapbox for a second, if it's okay with y'all. Hop on. It's not There's- okay with me. But you'll, okay. you're going to do it anyway, but... I will do it anyway. All right. not so, okay with me. <laughs> so, so often when I get on social media, it leaves with a, a bad taste in my mouth. And that's usually because I, uh, I brew my coffee with too many beans, as Brian would say. Mm. But Boy. also, I just see so often people are, you know, saying other people are bad. Wizards people are bad. Other Magic players are bad. Wizards isn't good at doing all their stuff. I actually think Magic is such a complex game that everyone's bad. And we just do our best to try to play or make the best game possible based on all of its complex rules. But there is one thing that can be perfect, and that's flavor. Flavor is a story. It's not built into this complex game. You can create any flavor you have. But they finally made the worst flavor fail ever, which I think is more egregious than Oko itself. Yeah, I don't think I am going to play the streamer event tomorrow because of this fact you're about to share. All right, so so I I mean everyone put their tinfoil hats on. Everyone everyone start their X Files music because we've got something to uncover here. Now the, there's a card, and and many of you have probably heard about this, but I do want to take our time to talk about it. 
There's a card called The First Rowan Games. It's two colors green, and it is a saga with four chapters. Now, the first three are irrelevant. They're just, gar- it's a garbage magic card. The, the, first, <laughs> the first three don't mean shit. But the fourth wow. one says, create a gold token. Now, I was like, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, that's cool. You get a gold because it's in a, it's in a Rowan Games, or Rowan Games, excuse me. But then the internet found a, a big, big problem because Arena Athlete made in Theros the, the last time had the flavor text of the Rowan Games awards no medal. So what is it? Well, it's a token, Brad. It's not a medal. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Medals are made out of gold. Oh, <laughs> you think that this is a flavor fail? I think that this is a flavor success. And I'm going to explain sale. why to you. The Arena Athlete card that has the flavor text about the Iro and Games awarding no medals, to me, represents Chewbacca. And <laughs> he competed Go in on. the Iro and Games, which award no medals. But then later on, they decided to retroactively give him a gold token for his uh, for his troubles. So to me, that is it is a story of, uh, you know, they're, they're capitalizing off of popular media, in, in this case, Star Wars. By, with hey, this. you got to sell those boxes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't even get the joke. You don't get the joke? No. From the, la- from I, the most. I, I haven't you're it. the one who told me about this. What did I? I forgot what I told you about how like Chewbacca never got a medal in, uh, or maybe you weren't the one who told me this. You did not. Did, I, I wasn't. Chewbacca, like so, at the end of the fourth Star Wars movie, they gave out like a medal to the well, the first one time wise, but the you know Episode Four, A New Hope, they gave out a medal to like Han and Luke, um, for like saving Leia, but they just didn't give one to Chewbacca. <laughs> Oh, and then okay. and then he finally got his medal in this last. Yeah, movie. he finally got his medal in this last movie, and it was just a it was a completely pointless scene just to give him a medal that he never got before. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. So I, I did not bring that up to you because I did not know that, mm. and I don't know the the lore of Star Wars well enough to even have like come close to catching that. Like, oh, it's a really deep one. I I honestly, someone told me about it. I didn't even know that was a thing until. I saw and it. now this podcast beginning has become equally as a pointless of a <laughs> plot. <laughs> so I was very, I was actually very scared when you said, no, it makes perfect sense that you were going to make a dig on me. I was taking second. Oh. I'm, I'm awarded. I'm never awarded a medal. Well, now you just did that to yourself, bro. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm fine with self-deprecating jokes. It just hurts inside when you make Does it. Does it count as a self-deprecating <laughs> joke if you got second place in a tournament that awards $50,000 for second place? Yeah. I don't know I mean, if we that all, we all bear our burdens, right, Brian? I do we? I don't really. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm. We just lost ten Patreon because of that statement. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Call me Dolores because I'm taking well, umbrage with this. Sta- well, with this. I, I will. I will be honest. Not a dollar has ever. I've never received a dollar out of any of our Patreon services. That goes completely back into the show. And and to our editor John to make the show not only better but to pay for his services that are much more difficult for him than us. Yeah. And we're we creating just gold. sit and talk about random shit, and sometimes we say the wrong words, and he has to edit those out. <laughs> and sometimes we have the wrong settings, and our volumes are wrong, and he has to fix them. And sometimes everything goes wrong, and he has to deal with. And it. sometimes so, yeah. we ramble incessantly about completely irrelevant things without actually talking about what we should be talking about. 
and he yeah. doesn't fix that. That yeah. doesn't happen. That doesn't happen often, though. To be fair, yeah. Fortunately, no. that hasn't happened in this episode or any other that we've ever done. So yeah, we we stay we stay on topic every yeah. minute. We are gods. Episode. We are gods. And speaking of gods, great nice. transition. Nice. Yes, thank you. I was. Oh, that was an alley oop right there. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> I, I want to start today's conversation now. Uh, for for a better explanation, we're going to be trying. We're not going to be going through actual decklists because podcasting isn't a great medium for like a true deck list, but we're going to talk about mm-hmm. the cards that interest us that we think some decks can be built around or things that we think people might be working on that maybe aren't there yet. And just kind of giving a, a good like brewers idea for you to go home and, and or if you're at home, just think about and try to build your own decks for standard. So Brad, um, I got to stop you for one second. When you said podcasts are not great for deck list, was that a dig at arena deck list? Cause they do deck lists pretty well there. No, not not well. They're <laughs> not well. They're like on it. Like they they'll talk about archetypes, but I mean we can't just sit here and like list off an entire archetype and talk about one or two slots. That's for like articles or videos. Yeah, we're not like That's listing. True. Is we're not like all right. Let's list the sixty cards from this deck list and hope that our <laughs> viewers uh, will remember them all. You know, or like, noble yeah. hierarchs. <laughs> all right, here's a one minute intermission for you to get your pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like. <laughs> we're providing you a 20 second break to sharpen your number two pencil and then we will return and then we will resume the test. Yeah. You may yeah, rewind don't... this audio. <laughs> yeah. Don't say pause for minutes. 30 seconds or anything. Just say, we'll stop for 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about these gods now. All right. Uh, of course I'm going to talk about the monocolored ones because the, the multicolored ones could, could have some effect on the format. There's only what, two of them, I believe. Um, we, there we just have, th- uh, no, there is, there's yeah, only, there is only two. Yeah. Yeah. There's just the gruel the one and, and the gruel. Yep. Um, and maybe these cards are going to see play. Like we saw some of the multicolor gods, but I want to stick to the, the mono because that's where the, the true devotion comes in. Um, and I'm going to say that like, this ain't it chief. I'm just going to call my shot and say that right now that, None of these gods will make a worthwhile monocolored deck. Now, I could be wrong, but we're going to go through them all. We're going to start with Heliod, uh, Suncrown. Now, we've said what the card did before. Can I just need to? Can I just say that this is it, Chief? You you do think this is it? You think there's going to be a mono white devo- devotion deck that's like playable and standard? No, 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 no. that's not what I'm saying. I'm <laughs> saying I'm very I I desperately pray that the gods are not broken. Like yeah, I, I'm, I'm just sick of terrible. I'm just sick of these like indestructible godlike creatures like being being a burden on standard. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, well, the removal is a little bit better in this format for them. Like, um, eat to extinction is a removal spell spell very much like Baraska's contempt that exiles. Yeah. And you know that I don't believe we had that back then. Like, just a lot of removal that could actually take care of the gods. I mean, we had Brass's yeah. Contempt in the same format as the Scarab God. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, yeah. Well, that's true, the Scarab God, yeah. But I agree with you that, like, these these indestructible, like, hard to deal with creatures, when they're good, they're great, and they're really risky to play with. And But, like, let's actually talk about these cards and see if they have a potential shot, even though I yeah. said that I don't believe they will. So Heliod seems like one of the more aggressive gods besides Perforos, yeah. where you're just going to want to be aggressively leaning and curb out. And there's quite a few cards that do facilitate it. Um, See, I actually think this card is going to be played and I think it's actually going to be quite good. Just well, be- 
just because of the Loxodon decks, you know, you can pair this with like Pride Mate, um, uh, kind of make the life gain theme go a little bit. And those mono white decks usually don't have that good of a mana sink anymore. So having Heliod to be able to, you know, gain a little bit of life and <coughs> aggressive mirrors, I think could be relevant. All right, I'm going to be real honest with you, Corey. Yeah. You know, we, we have a few things going for us on the Bash Pros podcast. Yeah. And one of those is that we're we're kind of, you know, you know, pretty good at evaluating magic cards and like knowing where things are going to go and having good deck lists and things like that. Are we? Sure. And aren't we? <laughs> I, I, I haven't uh, seen that. All right. Anyway, continue. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to say that even if this deck is going to be good, we shouldn't tell people like that's going out on the limb to say a mono white deck in in this anti-white climate is, is actually <laughs> going to be good. Like, hey, honestly, Loxodon's the true good card, but Heliod could be a nice, decent compliment to it. Yeah. I mean, why does our three mana five five, you know, we should have 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 it become a six six now. When it's not a creature, you can't tap it for Loxodon, right? Yeah, so first... I, I know that's a bit of a Nambo. Yeah, all right. So Mono White Nambo number two is... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but no, like there are some actually cards. Like we talked last week about Linden, the Steadfast Queen, being potentially good because of the, it works with Devotion and Life Gain. Um, I don't think that'll and, be a thing. But then there's Tomic, uh, Distinguished Advocate that... Or Advocist that... Uh, Works well as an anti Nissa card and a devotion enabler. Same with maybe Daxos Blessed by the Sun, which is the new um, double white devotion toughness creature that I think like isn't that good, but it's a devotion thing. I don't think it's that um, good either. I think Tom. I, I think Tomic. I don't think Linden is going to be good or or Daxos. Like just random bad stat ground creatures, even if they have like marginal life gain ability type abilities, like I, it's just it, almost impossible for me to see that being a good thing to do. And it's legendary. So, I mean, you can't put that many in your white aggressive deck. Like, yeah, that card is not going to be. Oh, I've much. actually been judging. I've been looking at a lot of deck lists lately, and I literally am judging people's deck building abilities based on the amount of Daxos and Timorats they're putting in their decks. Mm-hmm. like i'm seeing a bunch of monoblock devotion decks with like three timorats and i'm like you did not spend time like that is for me and 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 maybe i shouldn't go too far behind the veil or try to insult anyone that's done this but like if, if there's an article there and somebody has three timorats chosen from death in their deck list they didn't put much time into the deck they just they just made a devotion deck and put three of them in there but Corey's because- Corey's last article is about black devotion where he had three timorats Ah, uh, joke's on you. I don't write words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> joke's on you. I don't know the words very well. I don't do the, wor- the yeah. word thing very well. I, I say the words, bud. I don't read. I don't write the words. Yeah, that, that is so good. <laughs> hey, why did you okay. correct yourself when you said I don't read? You were. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to reveal both things I don't do, but I figured I would only leave one. Uh, Leave, one up for the imagination. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry anything. to. I'm sorry to to rip the veil away from that one. So yeah, if there's anything cool, worth reading, Corey, it is the intro to my last article from last Thursday. And wow, now, nice plug. No, nice no, plug. no. It's not even a plug for me. It, it's not even a plug for me. Okay. Um, this is a little off topic, but it's worth everyone's time. So if you have premium, I wrote an article about why I thought that um, Dryad of the Elysian Grove was bad. And I kind of like was like poking fun at Dominic Harvey because yeah. he was thinking it was going to be good. So he wrote the rebuttal article um, and it came out today on Star City Games. And that man can write really well. But his intro is just one of my favorite intros of a Metro Rolling Well. I know you read it, Brian. <laughs> Did you like it? I thought it was good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- I thought it was just a really good. That's So you're basically starting an Eminem, like Nick Cannon kind of uh, rap battle right now? Well, he's starting it and he's Nick Cannon. Yeah, so he's starting, he's starting an Eminem battle thing. with you? Wow. I guess so. Wow, well, you know what to do then. Um, Write the rebuttal. And still win? Write the rebuttal article again. But this time, <laughs> but, but this time rap it. <laughs> All right, so, so let's get back to Helia. Now, Ryan, you don't think those will be good, but do you think anything would be good in a Heliod deck? Oh, I, I do think Tomic is a good card, by the way. I, I, I wanted to state that. I, yeah, I mean, that's just a good magic card because it's like a flyer and has evasion, and its ability is very relevant in a Nissa world. Right. Which one's Tomic again? The 2-3 flyer for uh, two man, for white-white, and then it has the ability of, like, lands can't be the target of spells or spells abilities. Spells or abilities oh. in the graveyard or in play. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, that's solid. Yeah, I, there is one card. Well, we came into this podcast. I wanted to talk about one card in particular, and that was um, uh, Archon of Sun's Grace. Yeah, Archon of Sun's Grace. I can never remember the name of this stupid card. I'm, I've, I've be, I'm <laughs> Every, being corrupted. Everything in this set is like such long names. It's a nightmare. Yeah, they're all. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It can't just be. Uh, it can't just be like Pegasus. Yeah, exactly. If Everything it, has four words. <laughs> if this was four. if this was alpha, these cards yeah, would just I, be Pegasus. I can name that, that card's uh, text box in fifty words. It's like no, you cannot because they all have eighty. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Archon of Sun's right. Grace, two white white creature Archon, flying lifelink. Pegasus creatures you control have lifelink. Constellation. Mm-hmm. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, create a two two white Pegasus creature token with flying. Um. So I, I actually like this card. I, I think it's I think it's a very good card. I don't know if it will have the support around it, but I uh I just think that cards like this that have like it has evasion and lifelink and it has a good body, three four on um, flyer for four. Like anytime something has like pretty decent stats on its own and then has other abilities that can be good. I think it's a candidate to see play. Um, like for example, Shalai. Shalai is an example of another creature with exactly the same stats, minus the lifelink. Shalai saw a good bit of play in spots where its ability was very relevant. Um, in addition to its body being relevant, I think Archon of Sun's Grace could be in a similar position. The question is just whether the support around it is is going to be good enough. And uh, basically, it. I don't think that you should build your deck where it's like all enchantments in Archon of Sun's Grace. That's that's rarely a good way to build a, a magic deck. But there are a number of enchantments that will also, um, you want to play anyway, and that will also go well with this card, such as uh, Prison Realm or uh, Conclave Tribunal. Well, Conclave Tribunal is the big one, right? Because you can play that the turn you cast the Archon. Right. I mean that that might not happen till turn five That's or six, spicy. but yeah, that is that is a big interaction there for sure. And yeah, I, I just think that this has a lot of potential. And Heliod is another good card that I think goes really well with this card for multiple reasons. The two cards' abilities interact basically perfectly with each other. Uh, you cast a Heliod after you have an Archon in play. You make a Pegasus. You attack with your Archon. You gain life. That triggers Heliod's ability. Um, so ba- is there any way this deck wants walking ballista too to just have the combo since you can like attack with this and well, then get the legal trigger? Standard. Yeah, that's not standard legal. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Pioneer, never mind. I mean, it would 100% want walking ballista yeah, if it was. Yeah. yeah, 
I was gonna say, I was like, this sounds like a deck. Yeah. yeah I mean, from the look of the standard landscape, there's only like seven legal white cards. <laughs> like, they need the walking ballistas. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's so the best white card. So I think that interaction's really strong. Now, whether or not this will be a deck that can be played, I, I'm skeptical of that because one of the things about devotion decks that makes or breaks them, and this kind of goes into um what you were saying about like Timurat and all that other stuff, is basically what makes or breaks these devotion decks is their ability to generate advantage, like card advantages and stuff like that. And Archon of Sun's Grace is a card is a card advantage card in a very white way. You know, it creates extra creatures um, and so forth. But that might not like there might not be enough of those types of cards to make this like a playable deck. Yeah, I mean, my biggest problem with Heliod decks and standard is that I just don't think they're going to pass the test of beating. First, the Nissa decks, but then, like, you know, food is still going to be a thing. And and I think the, it'll struggle there as well. Um, I, I just have that. Those are my big problems with this, because, like, white doesn't have access to the same abilities as other colors. And now you're saying that you have to be mono white and not splash for that. <laughs> um, and so that's like a big problem. But I do I do agree that I think Heliod is like a powerful card on its own. Ar- Archon of Sun's Grace does seem awesome i don't think you have to be mono white like i I could see this deck being black white um there's a lot of good enchantments in black and white um as well you know and it doesn't even have to be a heliod deck either like but we're talking about the heliods now i get what you're saying yeah like archon does seem great with other enchantments right archon archon doesn't have to be like the heli it does interact very well with heliod but i think the card may be good even outside of a heliod deck yeah, all right. So let's move on to Thassa, though, and try to get through this. <coughs> we have a lot to talk about today. Um, I mean, I'm going to say I'm going to go up with that, too. I think Archon of Sun's Grace has potential. It's white in a in a world where, you know, white is just the worst color. So that's that is a downside. But maybe you can swing it. I mean, my guess is it's going to be, you know, the juice ain't going to be worth the squeeze. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way. Like, I, I really like this card. I love these kinds of cards in general. I like the white flying lifelink creatures, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it will be good enough, but it is something that I want to explore and have fun with because I, it's the kind of, I like those effects. So now the next guy we're going to talk about is has a combo that I want to explore for just funsies, and that's Thassa Deep Dwelling. That is three blue six five legendary enchantment creature god indestructible, not a creature unless you have devotion of uh, five or more, and at the beginning of your end step. Exile up to one other creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. Uh, keep a note, uh, and then through you, tap another target creature. Big, big thing to note there, it's not owner's control. You can steal a creature, blink it, and keep it, Yeah, which is like kind of new. Um, but I want to combo this card with Agent of Treachery because just stealing two things the first turn the agent comes down sounds decent. Getting to seven mana... Playing a more blue based deck. I mean, this Thassa seems like the kind of card that you can put it into a deck that doesn't need to be monocolored because you're just playing it for its abilities. Um, so that's interesting to me. Even and and also there's not a lot of uh blue enablers for the deck. Like Cavalier of Gales is like the best thing I could think of as cards that could like easily turn Thassa on. Not a lot of great three drops in blue, and blue is just not the strongest color in standard right now for what Thassa would be looking for. 
I, I think that that is a good. I actually think that that is a really strong combo. I could see that being the control deck thing to do. Um, those two cards. I, I will say that I don't think. Uh, I don't. I, I think if you're building a deck around like Thassa plus Agent of Treachery, you shouldn't be trying to also get Thassa online. Yes, exactly. Like Thassa is there as an as as an enchantment, not a creature. There's going to be times where you get to five devotion, but I don't think that should yeah. be your game plan. But I, I actually, I think that's actually pretty good. I think that I, I mean, think that I, could be a deck. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it, like if you just want to have some fun and you don't know what to play, and if you're going to play this F and M, but you don't know what to play, like throwing one of these. Uh, one or two of these into um, just the generic Andrea Manguchi Simic ramp deck and, and throwing some agents in there, that could just be fun because it's going to work well with Risen Reef, Cavalier of Thorns, um, you know, it, 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 and, and then the agents. Like, all of that already seems pretty gassy to me. So I, I, I could see that being worth it. Um, and, and maybe, you know, make it soul tie and like it just it feels like a fun magic card. I don't know again, like when I'm thinking competitive, I'm I'm looking at this card and saying that ain't it. Another that yeah, doesn't seem like it. Another I think it could be competitive. I actually disagree. But another another angle with this card is Fires of Invention. Um Yeah. That that that, that makes having to cast all these like really, really expensive cards more palatable and also then Thassa's ability of four mana to tap a creature becomes relevant. Ooh. Um, not, not, yeah, not, I mean, dangerous. that's an incredibly expensive amount of mana to pay for an effect, but that kind of makes you like get to do it every single turn. And I think that could be something. That's yeah, that cool. could be, uh, that could be kind of spicy. That's a nice, uh, mana sink as well when you're just in defense mode. Yeah. Tapping their creatures. Yeah. And, and kind of combos with Cavalier or Gales, you know, I mean, doesn't quite get you there, but pretty dang close to devotion. Yeah, that's actually kind of cool. I, I, I could see trying to do something with that. And yeah, maybe a two of or something. Deck. All right, next up, third god of the day is Erebos Bleak Hearted. Now, because they uh, printed this new magic card, I think it's called Grey Merchant of Asphodel. Uh, well, okay. Yes and no. Like, some call it that. There's a contingent of us Therosians who refer to it as Grey Merchant of Anus Fidel. Oh, yeah. of course. We're 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 a small in number, but uh, we're thick, <laughs> thick with two thick in culture, thick in stature. But <laughs> I will say that Erebos Bleak Hearted, alongside Gray Merchant of Anus Fidel, thank you, um, is what a lot of people want to be doing because that's kind of like the the thing of the old days. But the problem with these decks that I've been seeing is um, Erebos was in the sideboard the last time around, and these abilities make me think you want to play it more with a deck that like can gain some life and have a lot of sack fodder. And while, you know, cards like Yarok's Fenlurker, which is a, a 1-1 that gives an ability on turn two that has double black, and Arya likes sacking stuff, and Strider could be a part of this, there might be something there. But we're missing one big thing, which is the card advantage. And yes, Erebos does create card advantage, but at a real cost. It's There's no, these aren't, there's no Underworld connections. Yeah, Underworld connection was really the glue that held that deck There's together. also no Thoughtseize or no Mutable. And one of the things we have to say about monocolor decks is they re- back then they loved Nykthos or Mutavolt and, and also like Underworld Connections and Thoughtseize and being more of the control side. These decks are just going to be very permanent based because if they want to try to get Erebos online or have the most for Grey Merchant. But I, I don't really think it's worth it. I, I just don't. 
No. I, I just, yeah, I'm not a big fan of any of the gods. The Gruul one is like the only one that I'm kind of excited to play, but I just, uh, yeah, I'm not really seeing it either. I, I could see, I, I, I could see Erebus being fine, but, but like what, one of the key points about devotion is, is that it's just, it's all about card advantage. Like a devotion deck is, is a critical mass deck where you have to assemble a lot of pips of mana on your side of the board. And it just doesn't work if you don't have card advantage because you just, it's, you know, anytime you mulligan, that's, that's a time where you're not going to get your devotion going. Any, you know what I'm saying? Like there's just so many ways where, um, you know, if your opponent removes two of your creatures and you don't have any card advantage in your deck, now suddenly you're stuck with all these synergy devotion cards that don't do shit anymore and yeah. and so forth. But if you have card advantage, then you just start, you grind through all that. You grind your opponent out. And that's where, like, the Underworld Connections aspect of Mono Black was so big. Pack Rat, another one, too, uh, where you could turn dead cards into into creatures. Uh, so I, I, I think Erebos could see play. But if I'm building a mono black devotion deck, I have zero cards in my deck that don't generate some amount of advantage. Um, Yarex Fenlurker, sure, that that exiles a card from your opponent's hand that that can generate some amount of advantage. But like, like we said before, I'm not putting Timurat in my deck, and my three drops are going to be things like Midnight Reaper, Woe Strider, like anything that's going to generate me card advantage. Um, what about Rankle with something like that? Yeah, Rankle. It's kind of nice to be able to attack the same turn you play it with that and Rankle. Yeah, like, Grey Merchant is only a good card when uh, you have the card advantage to back it up because it's going to fall too short when you don't. Like, yeah. if, if, you, if you're just trying to go, like, creature, 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 and Grey Merchant as a top end, if your opponent just goes removal spell, removal spell, removal spell... And then you play Grey Merchant and drain them for two, and you put, take two. You put five. You paid five mana to put a two four into play that drain them for two that drop them down to, to eleven life or whatever. Like you're not winning a game yeah. that way. Yeah, and, 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 and not in you know when when devotion was around then there were even less um, I think built in card advantage than there, than there is now. Like we we have to look at Grey Merchant um, as a card that was printed and fine seven years ago. Like the landscape of Magic has changed. Yeah. And, um, it's not going to be able to control the game and gain that card advantage as quickly uh, in this. Uh, also, like, you know, a lot of other decks are based around card advantage and life gain on their own, whether they're sacking food and creating food or crisis. So this game plan just feels like it's doing the same thing as other decks. Again, one color. So I'm going to also say that Monoblock Devotion is not going to be good. Um, but we can move on to red, which I think is the worst of them all because there's just, <laughs> there's like nothing that makes this playable. The only one that's really great for the devotion side of things is Torbon, which costs four as well. Or no, this costs five, I guess. Um, but like, I mean, Drakthos, right? Like that's kind of, well, cute. you can do like cute combos with this card. Drakoseth for what it's worth. Drakoseth. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah, I don't think that's good either. Yeah, but one that I am very interested in, the one I'm actually interested in, I I, I have a keen eye on it. Oh. That's that's Nylea keen eyed. Impressive. Mm, nice. Yeah. And uh I'm uh I'm a bronze I'm I'm sorry, I'm bleak hearted having had to hear that, but <laughs> <laughs> you really uh dug deep dwelling for that joke. Yep, I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was cra- coming. I could just I could just basically sun crown you right here as yeah. <laughs> And Corey gets the uh 
the bronze. Yeah, he does. For, for not enjoy, you know, coming in on all those. That's bronze. right. Now, yeah. all right. So I'll take it. Nylea Kenite is three colors green for a five six. If their your devotion is five or higher, and creatures you control cost one less to cast. Two G reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, you can put in your hand. Otherwise, put it into your graveyard. Now, of course, Nissa exists, which will probably invalidate this card being good. But the thing that I like about Nylea uh, Kenite is it gives consistency to the card Castle of Garenbrig, which now there are two ways to get a six six mana green creature into play on turn five or a turn early. So if you ramped like Paradise Druid into Nylea the follow or or had a castle, you can play, you know, you can get that additional advantage um, a turn earlier. And that gives really bad cards, usually like Cavalier of Thor, not Cavalier, Feasting Troll King, um, or even Voracious Hydra, a little bit more consistency. And so I thought maybe there's something there, especially since like Feasting Troll King is just enough on its own. If if they go creature removal, creature removal, you play Nylea and you cast Feasting Troll King, the following turn you're attacking with, or your God's on. Yeah. Um, and that to me is interesting, especially because it's like, you know, it has that cheapen your your creatures. You can still like splash blue for crisis. Um, but ultimately it's probably not <laughs> good enough because this is so busted. Um but still that goes out of the format. I, I don't, don't see. I don't know if I yeah. agree with what you're just saying. Like you think they could work together? Yeah, I think they work together quite well, actually. I, I actually think Nylea is pretty good. Like I, I think that Nissa works really well with Nylea because Nylea Nylea's effect of two and a green reveal the top part of your library if it's a creature card put it in your hand otherwise you may put it into your graveyard it's a huge mana investment um but mana sinks are great and unlike almost every one of these previous effects this one's actually good because generally speaking that effect is you look at the top part of your library and then if it's a creature you put it in your hand otherwise it just stays on top of your deck and then yeah, you have to yeah you're, you're stuck drawing that land the next turn or whatever but Nylea actually dumps it into your graveyard unless you go uh, unless you get to the next card, and that seems like a very marginal like thing to notice. Uh, but I think that is is like a massive difference in the playability of it. Yeah, I can see it as a two of. So I, I and I think it works. Yeah, and it works great with Nissa when you have Nylea plus Nissa. Your cards are just so much cheaper, and yeah. also. Uh, the Nissa lands let you activate the Nylea significantly easier too. So, yeah, and then you don't have to draw mana creatures too. You get to put them in your hand, and hunting for Crisis, you know, becomes a lot easier. I could, I could definitely see it. I mean, everything's better with Nissa, but I, I do think this, this is a card that that does actually work pretty well with her. So, yeah, I, I that's one of the cards I'm most excited about. Um, coming out of the gods um but now we can now we can step away from the gods we've talked long enough about these cards especially since i don't even think everyone's that high on them no a lot of people are high on the the idea of devotion and it was worth us talking about the fact that like devotion doesn't have a lot of the things worthy uh that you know it previously did yep um but now we can move on to the actual multicolored stuff and i want to talk about one little nifty combo that i actually think might be good i don't know where to put it but I want people to start working on it because it'll eventually be found. And that's how Lazav, uh, the multi for furious, how did multi multivarious. Yeah. Multi multifarious. Yeah. Um, the multifarious works alongside these multicolored Titans. Um, 
So I'm not actually like a lot of people liked Uro, and we talked about how I don't think Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath is gonna be that good. Uh and Kroxa Titan of Death's Hunger looked a little bit better than me now. Kroxa is the red black one, Uro's the blue green one. But mm-hmm. Lazav's secondary ability actually works really well with these cards. So like let's say you just play Lazav on turn two or three, you get to surveil for one, whatever. Then on turn four, you can play Kroxa, make him discard a card, then copy it, attack, trigger the attack ability of now the newly minted Kroxa, make him discard another card, and they take six. Yeah, that's really that's, strong. Yeah. That's 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 really good. You have a six six in play, attacking by turn four, um, and you could have interacted with your opponent, right? You could have thought erasured, you could have killed a creature. Yeah, um, and and this is like a now. Now, I, I, I did just say something could be good in the worst color combination of all time. Uh, Grixanus? Grixanus. <laughs> um, and I, I am just building my own, you know... Uh, you know what Nicobolus. I think would go really well in this deck? Nicobolus? Oh, no. Oh, no. Absolutely not. Gray Merchant of Anus Fidel. If we're playing Grix Anus without the Anus, <laughs> what are we really... Then we're just playing Grix Ass, and that's just... Ugh. Yeah, of course. No, this sounds sweet. This would be a, Bolus is back on the menu. No, he's not. But no. <laughs> okay. this does okay. sound sweet. No, I, I actually agree. I think that this this is actually pretty cool, uh, for sure. Like, and and with Uro, uh, you can do the same thing effectively with Uro as well. The different, I think, it's better with Kroxa. Um, but with yes. but with Uro, if you do happen to have a lot of lands in your hand. Uh, you can effectively do the same curve out, right? Like yes, on turn four, play it. You get the extra land drop. Um, yeah, yep. and you get to play Soltai, which is just a better color combination. But Soltai is usually a good color combination because it's not playing these comboy cards. Yeah, Soltai is a better color combination because it doesn't play bad cards. Yeah. Yes, Grixis does play bad. Cards. Oh, Grixis <laughs> is actually it's requ- it's a requirement. Yes. If you play a Grixis deck without bad cards, like what the hell are you doing? I mean, yeah, you're fired. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that Lazav plus these two cards is actually kind of interesting. Other people are like trying to go, I've seen some deck lists that try to go way over the top. I think you want to just try to build a deck that has as much interaction as possible. But, but if you don't do this thing, what then my problem, my issue is what are you doing? You know, like if you don't get this great start, like, what what else goes into this deck? So I'm going to be working on this one. I'm curious to see what everyone. I'm going to throw a card out there for this yeah. deck. It is a card that I throw out there all the time. I'm going to keep trying to make it work. And I, I a precinct one. No, no, it is Doom Whisper. Oh, you, <laughs> you are trying Doom to make Whisper. Doom Whisper amazing, aren't you? But I, I it, in this particular deck, I I think that it could be very. Good because it Doom Whisper and Lazav is actually a good interaction. That is pretty true. So, I I mean Lazav, let's be honest. Lazav is a very bad card on its own. Kroxa probably a bad card on its own, but Doom Whisper is actually a playable card on its own, right? And it makes both of those cards better. So if if that's what you're trying to do with your deck, could be a could be a consideration. That is very true. Actually, I I, I will agree with that. Now. So well, that could be next- fun to uh, screw around with tomorrow, though. That's for sure. Yeah, the next card that also needs something to make it better, like literally, you need to 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 think about this card when you put it in your deck is uh, Treacherous Blessing. Two B yeah. enchantment. When Treacherous Blessing enters the battlefield, draw three cards. Whenever you cast a spell, you lose one life. When Treacherous Blessing becomes the target of spell or ability, sacrifice it. Now, I don't know why, but I I just love this card. Yeah, I think this card's going to be really good. I, I don't know how good <laughs> it's going to be. I just love it. 
So Brad and I finally settled the age-old debate of Sign and Blood versus Underworld Connections by mushing them both into one card that we both love. <laughs> Dude, our, friend just, our friendship actually almost ended then. Um, uh, for those of not really, because we didn't have one. Yeah, but, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back in the day, there was an Orzov mid-range deck, and Brian and I just went circles for a cup for almost a week whether you're supposed to play underworld connections or sign and blood and i mean we went hard we did uh and <laughs> just i mean we would have to scroll through our facebook to like find the conversation but it is extensive okay uh, but so yeah so now they just mesh it together just for us to you know Corey, think about your you and brad's glory bringer versus scarab god oh my god that's it was multiply a, it by like five i don't know now nah, i don't know if you can multiply it by five but it was it was uh, it was in that same ballpark yeah, for okay. sure. Okay, yeah, that sounds miserable, though. But what was great is I was right both times. No. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a common factor, BBD, is Brad is just wrong and just can't admit it. So arguments go on very long. I think we I can think all... We finally solved it. I think we can all agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we could definitely all agree with that. I mean, I am outnumbered at this point, so I'm just going to give it up. All right. Um, all right. <laughs> so, so Treacherous Blessing, the, the way this card works is you get this unbelievable advantage right away. But the problem is, is like, this is the kind of card you can't really cast on turn three on the draw, even if, so every divination on the draw um, is played when you also have played a two drop because you'll discard otherwise. Mm-hmm. And this is three cards. So this, like, you'll, you'll never be able to play this card on turn three on the draw unless you're willing to discard or you actually went like duress into things. But what's a certain <coughs> two drop that benefits you from discarding certain enchantments? Oh my. Ephemia. I think that'll be a great, you know, even on the Drago, Ephemia that into that card. That doesn't actually work. <laughs> oh uh, my legendary enchantment creature. God. <laughs> that's at the beginning of your end step. You discard during your cleanup, so it doesn't Hey, that's fair, turn. but you still get it the next turn. Sure. All right. So <laughs> I, I actually think that there's cards that combo better than a 2-1 for two mana legendary creature. On. <laughs> they're, they're Orzov. I feel like we're going to the Orzov for Final Payment and Doom Foretold. I think both of these cards will work really well with Treacherous Blessing. Um, Final Payment is not really a competitive staple. Now, Final Payment is, for those of you who don't remember, it is Black, White, Instant, Destroy Target Creature as additional cost, um, pay five life, or sacrifice a creature or enchantment. <clears throat> now, you might ask yourself why it has that weird clause. Now, you know, I I would love to say that uh, Wizards was was already ahead of the game and printed made this card for Treacherous Blessing, but I, I think it was to have an out to captive audience in that format. That's the only thing I could find because when I saw Treacherous Blessing, I went into the abyss trying to figure out why Final Payment looked the way it did. <laughs> because I was like, why are we sacking enchantments? They haven't made enchantments matter forever. There aren't even enchantments in the set to sacrifice. Um, and Captive Audience is, like, the only enchantment that you have. Well, you never sacrificed your ethereal absolution to kill a creature? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, also, no. Doom Foretold can sacrifice Treacherous Blessing, because you're going to have to sacrifice something almost immediately when you play Treacherous Blessing, because you, you don't want to play, you know, at rate, if you draw three cards and pay three life, that's, that's probably the best rate you can get for that effect. Mm-hmm. So you don't you can cast a few spells before before you have to, but um another interesting one though would be it, um what is this what is this blue green card I'm gonna make it a little bigger Brian do you want to do the honors on this one 
no, I don't. Fine. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. Enigmatic Incarnation, two green blue enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrifice enchantments converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Yeah. Um. On versus live, Ross did some dirty things with that card and uh, blessing, searching up Pelucranos, and then uh, s- sacrificing other four mana enchantments to bring in Cavaliers. The problem is the deck didn't have a very good top end outside of that, so you just kind of played a bunch of Cavaliers, but it was pretty cool. Yeah, it would have to be a little bit better. Like, that's that's the weird thing about Standard is because of the food package and Krasis, mm-hmm. like, you know, you might have to do something that's Dance of the Man style. Like, yeah. uh, that's, like, Magic Snowball's really hard right now. Yeah, you um, have to win the game after you've grinded an advantage. You can't just, grinding an advantage is not just winning the game. Yeah, you don't run anyone out of things. That's one of my biggest problems with, like, even going back to, like, Monoblock Devotion. Like, Drag to the Underworld, which is 2BB. The spells cost X uh, less to cast, where X is your total devotion to black. Destroy target creature. So it's effectively in a Monoblock deck that has permits in play. It's BB, destroy target creature. That's a great removal spell for a creature. But creature removal isn't really the big thing about the standard format. We're not, we're not desperately looking for one-for-one removal spells. And we're looking for these like big effects. And I feel like the problem with Theros so far is when I'm looking at the set, there's a lot of good cards in a vacuum that over the years I would have loved, but ultimately it does not go over the top like like standard currently does. Well, yeah, I want to be like on a on a like broader note, I want to say that I like I think that's a good thing, and I hope that magic trends more in that direction, with Theros being the first step that way. Agreed, but I think for our individual standard, it might be a little stale if the cards previously are just so much better than Beyond Theros Death. So, so while, all right, yeah, we're we're going off on a uh, on a tangent. Um, so I'm just going to say the last thing. Timurant's call calls the dead, which is two B saga. Um, for the first and second chapters, are are put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. Then you may exile a creature or enchantment from your graveyard. Uh, if you do put a 2-2 black zombie token to play, its third is you gain X life and scry X where X is the number of zombies control. That card also goes well in these shells that, that want to treacherous blessing, final payment, all that. I do not know the value of these decks, but I'm interested in them. But going back to your point, Brian, I do want to make, um, I first thought of that too. I'm like, I'm, I'm always so glad that magic trends away from the power, but the problem is, is it ramps back up too soon. So. Um, so because this set is just stuck with, um, adventure time for, for ever, it's just going to get foreshadowed by it unless they operate well. Once we see the rotation of the previous four, which did have four of the spark, which was busted and M20 was also very good. Yeah. Um, but we saw that before, right? We saw Ixalan block or sorry. Yeah. Ixalan block come out and it's like, I'm really glad that this sets powered down, but we still played most of the time with it with busted other sets yeah mm-hmm. and, we, and we also saw almond cat get out shadow by kaladesh and x get exactly, out sh- yeah. just, it, it's a natural trend yeah I, i'm just saying that i i don't know that in the case of theros that it's going to ever not be outshadowed or whatever but i just hope that that's the direction in which they put they move towards making uh cards so yeah i, I actually really like this set a lot Oh, I like the set a lot, too, and I like that there is a power down in current standard because, I mean, 
going from War of the Spark into M20, which was one of the best core sets for a very long time, into Throne of Eldrain, like those were three extremely powerful sets back to back to back. Yeah, it was unreal. So now, now we have a set that we could even like quote unquote say that these cards are bad, which brings us to our next card, Dream Trawler. control the control savior and i love it so dream dream trawler is two white white blue blue for a creature sphinx three five flying lifelink whenever you draw a card dream trawler gets plus one plus oh until end of turn whenever dream trawler attacks draw a card and then you can discard a card dream trawler gains hexproof until end of turn tap it so this is kind of a bane slayer uh was it prognostic sphinx yeah it's hybrid it is yeah um, and you know, when I, th- like, there are people out there that I know are going to get hooked by cards like this. And so the, the moment I saw this card, I went to Twitter and just searched up Shaheen Sarani. <laughs> Initially it was to complain about the Bash Bros podcast, but I also of wanted course. to see, uh, what he had to say about this card. And of course he was in love with it. And, mm. uh, do either of you have opinions on this before I, I go on my little rampage? I do have an opinion on it, but I would prefer you to go on your rampage first. All right, cool. I'm going to go on my Angrath's Rampage. Oh. <laughs> so whenever a control creature comes out, now we've seen this for years, and we've seen this trend with control. Control will be good at some point in standard. It will. And then it will not be after that fact. And that's just kind of the trend. It's been a very long time since a true control deck has been dominant in the format. Even when we had Drencher Gearhulk, it wasn't like... The best place I ever saw Trencher Gearhulk in was um, William Hewitt Jensen's world's winning Team or Energy deck. And so my biggest problem is whenever these control cards come out, people are like, finally, there's a card for us. And yes, it is for them, but it's not going to make control a good strategy. It's going to be good one week when it, everyone's ignored it. And then people will play cards like Angress Rampage, or they will care about control and they will mm-hmm. make sure they have a plan for it. And at that point, the deck's not going to be able to fight with it. Because the thing is, is the power level of standard right now is just too big. Like, we saw Ben Stark and Eric Froelich show up to Mythic Championship 7 with blue-white control, completely targeting. I mean, they gave up the aggressive metagame. They gave it up completely. They could never beat a mono-red deck in a million years. Well, also, they had to suffer a 15-yard penalty and were ejected from the game. Why? Targeting? Wow. (laughs) Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow, that was Uh, so deep. All right, so... Targeting is a college football penalty for those who are unaware. We just watched the national championship game earlier this week. Well, I thought it was still going on. (laughs) Well, yeah, it really is. They're just entering the third quarter right now. (laughs) And that's a joke (laughs) on how long that game was. It was was a four-and-a-half-hour game. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't uh, watch this one. I watched last year and I loved it, but wasn't feeling it this year. This year it was all right. It just was a very slow game. Yeah, it was just God such damn. a long game. Such a slog. Anyway. Yeah, but um, Unlike that Packers-Seahawks game, though, right? Oh, you didn't even watch it. You're just making fun of me. I got to listen on the radio. It was nice. (laughs) No, but I got one thing to say about Dream Trawler. I think it would be a lot better in standard and actually see play if it just didn't have that last sentence of tap it. You know, if you could just discard and give it a hexproof, I think it would have a chance to well, be decent. Well, that would decent. be busted. Then it would just it, have yeah. hexproof. Yeah, but the yeah. card would just be in, would be unbeatable, though. I mean, not exactly. unbeatable, but... 
It'd be really good, but I mean, yeah, with with the fact that you can just point removal at it and it stops it for a turn, that's really all decks need to get by a card like this. I, so. I want to say something about this card. I think this card is actually incredibly good. Oh, it's very good. It, it is. It like the power of this card is through the through the roof. And I actually, having seen this card and not having thought about it before, but I want this as a top end for Esper Hero. Like I, I, yeah, I just, I just think this card is just an insane top end for that deck. And oh, yeah. and I think it will, will, will like if Esper Hero is a playable strategy, which it probably won't be because of <laughs> food decks and Nissa decks and all that other garbage. But if it is in a world where that is true, I think this card as a top end for that deck is is absolutely incredible. Oh yeah, when you're Othakaiing stuff and chump blocking with your tokens, you have time to get to a spot where Dream Trawler can be afforded to be tapped in response to a removal spell. And then when you, whenever you can attack when you're at parity with your opponent, you are going to win the game with this card. Well, it's also, when you untap with it, one of the great things about this card is you can play a negate effect or a counterspell because you're going to get that card advantage back when you attack. Yeah. yeah. And you can Teferi tick down, and then it's already going to be a 6-5 when you're attacking with your draw step and when you attack. Like, Oh, yeah, it attacks as a 5-5 five five every turn. It attacks as a 5-5, five five and yeah. Anything like Teferi or any kind of draw effect, just oh, extra bonus. I think this card is amazing. But even what, what Brian said, he's putting it in a mid-range deck. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, what I was trying to make a point, and this is not, no offense to, to Ben Stark or Ephraim. They just actually, offense to uh, Shaheen Sarani. Let me finish. <laughs> so they brought a deck that sacrificed a whole specific subset of a format. And that... Subset did not show up to the tournament at all. And they brought a deck that they thought was good, favored in every matchup in the room, and they went 9-10. And, and, well, you know, it's a tough field. It's a lot of great players. I'm just saying the philosophy of control being playable is just a dead philosophy now with how magic works. I just, especially with, like, the London Mulligan rule and decks are always so consistent and they do their thing every time. Like, it's just it's just not good. And so if you want to build a mid-range deck with this this card, it's going to be great. <coughs> um, and I think that it's going to shine there. But just trying to wrath and trying to control and then get to your dream drawler, it's it's a dream. Yeah, I've I've basically been writing about how I think control is just a flawed and or dead archetype for the last like five years, and I nothing has changed my mind. Yeah, not, and and control it, it's not you can't even point to a scoreboard like it has pockets yeah. where it's good like what you said but it's just so exploitable as a strategy in general and that's across every format that yep. it's just it's just an exploitable strategy and exploitable strategies always get exploited yes and and you know and we're even seeing a spot where now they're not wizards isn't even fully supporting control they're like half supporting it like why can't Wrath of God exist again in this format instead of Shatter the Sky, which is two white white sorcery? It's just, it's just Day of Judgment. But if a player had a creature with power four or greater, they get to draw a card. Like why? Why can't we just have Day of Judgment um, or Wrath of God in the God set? And 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 I don't even get it because like I don't think that it's not like we're trying to keep control down in Magic. Like uh, this, this card really confused me because I just felt like control has been desperately needing an effect just to be playable. The funny yeah, thing is, is, I don't even God set would have been good. I don't even <laughs> actually agree with that at all. You don't agree with me. I don't agree with saying you. that it would be good. 
I don't agree with you in in that that's what control needs because control already has wraths. I mean, there's Kaya's wrath, there's uh, time wipe, um, and yes, those are worse than Wrath of God. But I don't think making wrath better is how you fix control decks because oh, uh, every creature these days just doesn't give a shit about wrath. Okay, I, I misspoke because I also don't think it's like the like having a good wrath isn't what we need to worry about. Is yes is more what I was trying to get to? Like I agree with that. I, I, I don't think that we have to look at a standard set and be like, God, control gets way more tools again. Like I'm getting sick of this. Like they should kind of push the envelope on effects like this because right now. Like, I played a lot of Pioneer with the Mono Green Ramp deck, and I played decks with, uh, I, I you know, there's enough times where I play against Wraths, and it doesn't matter if it's Standard or or Pioneer, I almost always punish my opponent when they cast it. Like, mm-hmm. like especially after Cyborg. Like, you, you're just playing, you can navigate the game to force them to Wrath, and then that's your final blow. Like, the game is literally playing this weird thing, it's like, I can't tap out for this Wrath effect. Yeah, I actually think that Wraths are, generally speaking, way better in older formats than Standard because, or at least re- at least within the last five years, ten years, because in older formats, people aren't expecting Wraths, and in older formats, creatures are often, like, people are actually able to play cards like Tarmogoyf because their spells are good enough to support those kinds of cards, where Wrath actually does generate advantages, but in Standard, everyone's creatures always are two-for-ones or whatever, and, like, yeah, you wrath and you kill three creatures, but those three creatures generated them four cards. So it's like you're not even winning that way. I don't know. Yeah, standard is never about standalone threats. It's all about card advantage and making sure all your cards gain you a value because everyone's interacting with them all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I saw Shadow of the Sky, I was like, this is this is embarrassing. Like, I can't believe that like this is where we're at. Like, we're playing it so safe with the removal spells, but we're like, going all in on the proactive things. And, you know, I would have liked to see that. Speaking of another interactive spell that I think is kind of cool, too, that's also proactive, is Elspeth Conquers Death. Now, this is a white card I can get behind. So it's another saga, and its first chapter is Exile Target Permanent and Opponent Controls with the Bird of Mana cost 3 or greater. Second chapter, non-creature spells your opponent's cast cost 2 more to cast until your next target. So that's practically textless. But then the third chapter is return target creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Put a plus one, plus one counter or a loyalty counter on it. Now, do I get the option? Can I put a loyalty counter on a creature and a plus one, plus one counter on a planeswalker? <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm it does curious. say or. Uh, yeah. I think you or, do get the option. Yeah. Like if you bring back a Gideon, you could probably put a plus one, plus one counter on it. But it does say creature or planeswalker, and then it says one one counter or loyalty. So well, maybe that, it would have to be written to that way. Well, you, you don't get both yeah. if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Well, I know you don't get both, but it seems like you'd still only be able to put the loyalty on the planeswalkers and only be able to put the plus one plus one counters on the creatures. But you never know. Um, I don't actually know. Yeah. That's a yeah. yeah. This card does kind of remind me of the Eldest Reborn in a few ways. Oh, for um, sure. It's the opposite of the Eldest Reborn. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it it being able to target one of the bigger threats, I think, is pretty important. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that this card is exactly the Eldest Reborn flipped for Elspeth re- being reborn. Mm-hmm. Like this is coming back from the from the under. This is underworld. this is really funny to me. We just I feel like our life is just on a loop because 
Brad loved The Eldest Reborn, and I thought The Eldest Reborn sucked. Like, I thought Elvis, Eldest Reborn was so unbelievably overrated, and Brad likes this card, and I just think it sucks. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I just, to me, that is just hilarious because it's basically The Eldest Reborn again, and we're just taking the same sides again on it. Yeah, but The Eldest Reborn did suck in standard. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So it was still a cool card. Oh, I think both of these cards are awesomely cool. I'm, I, yeah. I think the Eldest Reborn is one of the coolest cards they've printed in a long time. Oh, well, no. I mean, I'm never going to play a white card in an actual <laughs> magic tournament. Like, don't, 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 like don't, don't fool yourselves. But I do have to produce content, and that can't always be about Sultai. Like, <laughs> Let's not lie. I, I, con- I conned you into playing Hero Precinct 1, and it worked out for yeah, you. Yeah, and how did that work out for me? Another second place $50,000 loss. Jeez. All right, you're only allowed to complain <laughs> about a $50,000 check once per episode. That is per contract. <laughs> <laughs> Write it up. <laughs> Write up what? The $50,000 check or the contract? Oh. oh. <laughs> No, I, I so uh, I, I like this card just because it does give white some like cool stuff. It can exile permanents. It can kill Anissa, um, which white does not have a lot of answers to. And the thing that I like a lot about this card is it's not that bullshit removal spell. That's like put it under this enchantment until they kill the enchantment and then get it back. Oh, I poof, preach it, brother, because I I hate that aspect of white so much. And I've been yelling at at Watsi people to stop doing that, and they just it, it's like dead like. Every time I say that to them, I can see in their eyes that they disagree with me, and it just it frustrates me. It's like, stop giving White this shitty-ass removal that if you blow up the enchantment, they get their, like, insane thing back, and it's coming to playability triggers again, and it's plain, and it's a Planeswalker with loyalty that starts fresh again. It's like, stop doing that. Just get rid of it completely. Like, it's it's not like White... It's not like that would make White too good. So, yeah, I'm 100% on... I, I like that they don't get their thing back on this one. It actually, it, it would never make it bad. Like the whole idea is like they exile things, you know, like, and, and I, I never understood why they haven't finally had a good Planeswalker removal spell because like they've had good exile creature removal before that actually did its thing. But for whatever reason, you can't interact with Planeswalkers with white in a, in an effective manner. You always have to get to go to other colors. They're just obsessed with the idea that white can't remove something without some sort of cost to it, which I just, I don't get that. Like, you can't just exile something. It has to give them life, or it has to do this, or it has to do this. It's like, no, just let them, let them, let white exile something. So, is the cost of a Celestial Purge type effect having to play white? Is that the cost? <laughs> no, like, that's a great effect. They, I, I, they, those, those effects do exist. Like, Purge is a great example, as is like all the five mana ones that we see in every set where it's like exile a creature enchantment for five mana. Like, yeah, that's a great limited card. I, I wish I'm happy that they keep printing those kinds of cards, but I think they can up the ante on those and make those constructed cards that cost like three mana or whatever. Yeah, the best we got is like Decree, which is just a phenomenal sideboard card, but that's about it. Yeah, and and so I really like Elspeth Conquer's Death uh, for its first ability and obviously third. The second, there there will be gameplay patterns where that's relevant, but uh, we have to actually see it. Like I can't see in the future, but like, there might be a situation where your control opponent, you, you get your opponent into a position where they can't hold up a counter spell because you have this card. But then why do you have this card against control? Like, you know, it, it might be relevant sometimes, but it's not going to be it's going to be built into the metagame. I think it's going to be built into the randomness of magic itself. Like there yeah. are going to be games where that just randomly screws your opponent over. But I, it seems way out of the control. Like it's not something that you can plan for, I don't think. 
yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Um, um, you know, and and so that's pretty sweet. But the uh, the last ability is very good, but it you have to like get stuff to your graveyard, and that might be difficult some games because white kind of just goes all into play. Yeah, th- so that's. Like, I hate being the one who poo-poos on cards or whatever, because I know people are excited. It's a new set. People are excited about playing with cards and stuff. But the 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 reason that I don't think this card is good is because all three chapters of the saga are conditional. And the the first one is the probably the least conditional of them, and it's also the best part of it, in my opinion, which is the exiling a permanent with CMC three or greater. But all three aspects of this of this saga are are conditional. And only two of them generate card advantage, which is the first and the third. So you're getting a two for one on a five mana enchantment a conditional amount of the time. And I just think it's too narrow for that to consistently be good enough. If that makes sense. Oh, for sure. I, I and and the the thing about you're not really just poo-pooing on cards and you're not always I don't want you to feel bad about that because the thing I, I actually you know, this is taking another step away from Elspeth. I actually really get annoyed with um, content. Now, I, I take in a lot of content. I take in a lot more content than I think most of my peers would. Um, I re, or I listen to at least four or five podcasts a week, or at least most of them. Um, I read a lot of articles, and I take in, like, streams while I'm working and stuff like that. I, I like to stay in tune with everything, and I just enjoy magic content. But I get really annoyed when people are just being positive about cards and not really explaining things for people to like have the better tools or to purchase the right cards or or all of that stuff. And it feels disingenuous. Exactly. And and what you know, I even though I, I believe this, I've never articulated well, but like one of the things, and I this is one of the reasons why I respect you more than most people, is you'll never lie to your audience ever, even if it's a white lie. Yeah. Like well this would these would these every card is a white lie. <laughs> well <laughs> every one of these every cards white is card white is a white lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like for example, like if you're not having the best day, you will say that. You know, like you're not gonna right. uh, even the white lies, like you will be honest. Um I value and, honesty a lot. Yes. And so when I see content and it's like here's fifty deck lists or here's this and all this, and like, you know, I kinda want to try to boil it down so that people can finish this podcast and they can be like, well, when they weren't saying ridiculous, boring, stupid jokes or trying to make each other laugh, I actually got something out of this. Wait, finish this podcast? This this episode is like the national championship game of college football. It'll never <laughs> yeah, we're, finish. We're, we're, we're almost gonna we're we're almost to halftime. Yeah. Um, which which we, we do have Smash Mouth for. We do have a halftime Thank show. God. Yes. Thank we have, God. We have Smash Mouth for the halftime show. Yes. <laughs> and it's over. <laughs> but yeah, so so you know, like if if you don't like the card, like that's fine. I'd rather you say that and and stuff like this. And instead of like or only talking about the cards you do like so all your content looks happy, you know? Ma- magic is not each card in a vacuum it's it's contextual to every other card like and and that's that's why the game's so good you know mm-hmm. like cura uh best the god c is a wonderfully powerful magic card but it's not going to see play because you know it's just going to get countered or the token's going to get bounced i guess the token does have that <laughs> it probably won't get bounced too easily no no wait won't. what card are you talking about mm-hmm. here it's a it's a mythic saga. So Kira best the god. Oh oh yeah 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 yeah. 
Yeah, five UU, create a token, tap all non-land permanents, target opponent controls, they don't tap during their next tap step, you can control target permanent opponent controls and tap it. This card is literally going to be like the best limited bomb ever. Oh, yeah. It's so ridiculous, but... Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting limited set because there is a ton of power. Like, I mean, how are you going to stare down a Dream... Not Dreamweaver, but the, the blue-white Sphinx in limited. Like, that is, that well, card's just going to win. X-Proof Flyers win games. Yeah. Um, Dream Drawler. Yeah, like, like, those cards are just busted in limited. But besides that, like, I actually don't know how good these cards are going to be in limited because there's a lot of removal spells. Yeah, the, that's true. The way that you beat Dream Trawler in limited is that it costs six mana and it requires white, white, and blue, blue. And mm -hmm. so a huge percentage of the time, it's just not going to get cast against you. I mean, that's not that hard of a cost if you're in a blue-white deck. Well, it is a hard well, cost if you're playing against a counter spell or it's a hard it's a hard cost because one you have to be specifically a blue white deck to play this card. It's not like splashable, yeah. and like we, who knows, blue white might just be horrendous in li this limited format. Oh, and that easily could be. I'm just yeah, like if somebody gets this in play against you, it, yeah, you're not going to win like 85, 90 percent of the time. But yeah, you know, this is one of those rares that's like it's just not going to be in play on the other side of the battlefield that often against you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, um, besides that, uh, I think for closing statements, I think those are all like the the cards that I'm most interested in playing. And you guys talked about what you are. Um, what, like, just for the viewers at home, do you think like we're still going to see like food, fires, and Nissa controlling the format? Uh, yes, I do. I do too. Probably <laughs> more than likely, I think. Uh... I think there's a chance for like black red sacrifice to just be good oh, enough that, to that, break think, in, but yeah, I think I think that they're yeah. When I look at the set, the potential that I see is in the black cards for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just love Woe Strider. I think that card's the real deal. I'm gonna be doing a lot of that too. If I stream tomorrow, it's because I want to play with red black sacrifice decks. Yeah, I think that's what I'm gonna start with as well. Yeah, I'm gonna work on them. I'll build a red black and a Mardu one and just go go back and forth. But like. Um, that's what I'm most excited about is just playing. Uh, I, I just think that claim the firstborn with more options than just having witches oven is and and priest is great. Yeah, and and who knows what how to fit it all together, but I, I do like that aspect of it. <laughs> and it's just so good with priest of the forgotten gods, which that card just needs a, a couple more effects in that deck that create two bodies. To make that card absolutely busted, you know, because lots of Tap Reaver, let's get real, we don't really want to put in our deck, but Woe Strider, hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. I completely yeah. agree with that too. Yeah, that, that gives you an actually good playable effect uh, or playable card to that creates two bodies instead of having to play garbage like Reaper, which, or Reaver, where when you don't draw the priest or when you don't draw your other stuff or whatever, it's just garbage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also having uh, a sack outlet that's free and more than once a turn will let you combo people out with, with de devils and stuff like that. So, and of uh, course the most important reason it creates a goat, Brad it does create a goat. <laughs> oh, I love that. It creates a goat. I, I think I just want to say one thing that about the set, like we've talked about a lot of cool cards, cool interactions. And I, I actually am genuinely excited for some of these. Like I want to try them out. Yeah. I don't have high hopes that they'll work, but it, they, they'll, they'll probably at least be like a fun tier three type thing if they don't. Uh, but just from a very objective perspective, looking at this set, I think the black cards are good and can go into some of the existing black decks. And other than that, the cards that are going to see play out of this deck are the cards that fit into the already existing shells of 
food fires Anissa. So if if you see a card that that makes a food fires Anissa deck better, that's probably like a safe bet in the set. Yeah, what's kind of funny is uh, while while standard is my favorite format, I, I actually don't have a reason to play it. I'm mostly excited about limited mm. um, because mm. the next um, players tour is Pioneer and Limited. Um, I have a crazy strategy for this tournament. I'm not going to play any Pioneer until the the other two players tours start, and I'm just and you're gonna just going to draft a ton. Oh yeah, and I'm just going to play like whatever. Like, I don't know, like Javier plays. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Smart. It sounds smart to me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just not going to waste my time. I'm going to let them grind a million games and then play some, pick, pick whatever I think is best. Especially because I have not enjoyed any deck I've tried in Pioneer. Really? I don't want to be neg- negative about magic and, and add to the pile of random stuff, but like Pioneer has just felt very linear and snowball-y. And I'm not really interacting with my opponents. I'm just like the only time I interact with them is if I have the fatal push in my opening hand I, or, or if I have this effect in my opening hand, like it's, I don't feel like we're trading blows. I, I actually like, agree. I, I'm my favorite. I love playing interactive decks and I feel like I don't have fun playing pioneer because the interaction is just so much worse than the threats that you, you you're just at a disadvantage every time you sit down against somebody with, yeah. well, with, with an interactive, interactive deck. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been trying all the linear decks, too. I'm just not having fun with them because I'm not playing Magic. Like, I tried the Dredge deck, and that's not Magic. That's doing your thing until you play the the big Emerge Beast, you know? Yeah, your deck is pretty good, though. That's that's the sad well, part. Sure, of it, and, yeah. and that can be fine. I also, the deck I actually had the most fun playing with was the Mono Green Ramp deck, but I don't think it's that good. I think it's inherently flawed. Yeah. Um, but I liked that deck. Um, but besides that, like, I played mono black. I played a few leagues with it. It's good. Played mono red. It's good. It's just not that fun. I do think that the mono red deck is the best deck and the most interactive deck in the format, though. Would you say? Can that- I interest you in? Is it Phoenix, good There's, sir? No, I, I tried that deck. I don't think it's that good. It's fine. Mm, you've never been on a cruise, have you? Oh, probably? I went on a cruise for a few times. It's <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm excited to play limited, and if I like the format enough, I'll I might even start streaming it with like the like I'm going to become the best limited player because i don't think anyone's going to want to watch me stream limited <laughs> i'll watch yeah no i mean i i feel like my reputation will perceive me Boy, this is a non-lying person. podcast so. yeah oh okay then watch. never mind i wouldn't i wouldn't watch then <laughs> right, but i mean that that brings us to the end of the show does anyone have anything to say before we go um no just uh that tomorrow is going to be pretty fun for the streamer event and i'm excited to play some games well, today today will be today now, technically now for, for everyone at home now here at the bachelor's podcast we do have a patreon and if you'd like to support us you can go to patreon.com slash podcast to become a, a loyal patron and all that money will be going back into the show making it better i mean it's 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 not going to get us better special guests but it'll keep it going at least, and and maybe we'll get something else, but we will not get better special guests than we already have. Um, yeah, we just try. so you know, we don't want to lie to you. <laughs> um, well, when you already but, have the best, really, can you get better? I mean, that's I, you know, yeah, we don't want to go down from here, Brad. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I do believe in uh, never-ending um, <laughs> self-improvement, mm. so we can get better. Um, I was thinking that too, but I didn't want to get down that rabbit hole, so. <laughs> All right. So if you do, if you do become one of our our biggest uh, supporters, you become part of the cast and crew on the Bachelor Podcast, and they are 
keeping us turning and keeping us going and keeping our director page to do all the wonderful work that John does for us. They're an integral yeah, part of the cast. They yeah, are, an, yeah. and they also do have their their part of the casting crew that that helps the show keep going. So, without further ado, let's get to the casting credits. Let's do it. All right, we're going to start with EJ Wren, who is Corey's down player because Corey gets a little manic and excited, <laughs> and sometimes we need him to settle down now. Yeah, hey, absolutely makes sense. Then we got Paul. Kaksaroski, that is BBD's. I think I nailed it this time, I think guys. You got you it. Great job. And that's BBD's wall staring photographer. Whenever BBD is not playing a World of Warcraft, you best believe he's staring at a wall. Someone's got to take those. I've pictures. seen it. And when I am playing World of Warcraft, I just stare at the wall in game. So perfect. <laughs> exactly. All right. We don't have a photographer for that yet, so that could be you out there. All right. We got Daniel Russell, <laughs> Brad's international document consultant. Uh, we have him on staff, however, we don't actually consult no, we've him. We've been making great strides. Next time I have to leave the country, I'll be able to. Oh wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. All right. So Spoon Tongue, BBD's hairstylist, the most overpaid person in 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 magic. Of course, of course. Then well, we got I- Tom. and we don't pay him anything so (laughs) still the most overpaid and then of course we got tom wilkinson next that is our on-call sultai correspondent so this is basically the only person that talks to brad about his sultai builds brad never listens to tom anyways so not sure why we have him on the payroll oof all right well we got david watt (laughs) special guest screener you know keep up the good work not not more not much more to say about that excellent job we love what you do here. So you're you're great, David. All right. Next up is Victor Baukamp, uh, who is the executive producer. So everything that we do gets approved by him. So if uh, if you don't like it, take it up with him or Sheen Serrano. Of course, of course. Then we got Symbol. That is our executive waste management operator. It's a dirty job, but you know what? Someone's got to do it. Are you Are sure you, it's Symbol? Yeah. Did Maybe you pronounce that Symbol? name right? <laughs> <laughs> I I think I I've only said it one way both episodes. Really interesting. Sure. That doesn't ring yeah. a bell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> hey Brian, who's the next one? All right, we got Rabid Chicken, the vice president of video operations. Uh, I hear it's a stressful job. Yeah, it, it is. I hear I hear it's uh, I hear it's a lot of work. I uh, wouldn't know personally, but uh, yeah. Very, very important position in our audio-only podcast, so... Yeah. All right, and then, fuck my life, it is Gier Micheldi. Uh, yeah. uh, please, 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 Gier, please get get uh, onto our Discord, our Bash Bros Podcast Discord. I know you have the capability of doing so. And just message me in any general one of our many places and tell me how to pronounce your name. Because <laughs> I think uh, you nailed it. Even though you are the assistant to the assistant regional manager, I feel like uh, that doesn't have that much credit when we don't know how to say your name. And and, and I feel embarrassed every time that we interact. <laughs> which is zero times. Impressive. Yeah, yes, exactly. Which is zero times. <laughs> then we got Andreas Haman. That is our Richmond gas station scouter. And let me tell you, that is somebody who's really looking out. No, for- no, no. <laughs> now I know that this is the end of the episode, and 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 we don't have much time for anything else, or we shouldn't. But can we? We need people to know why Andreas is important. So can we? Maybe take that one away. It's been a long time, <laughs> and we've gotten many new listeners. Yeah. Since 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 the story was told, those are our wee old days when we were 
we were uh, getting, you know, maybe a third or even a fourth of the viewers that we, we were now. just tykes. We were just tykes at that point. So Not we, many people we have need heard people to know why Andreas <laughs> is our Richmond gas station scouter. So real quick, Brian, could you fill him in? Uh, I won't be filling them in. I'll be filling it up. Uh, <laughs> so uh, GP Richmond. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, 2016, 2015, one of those years. Uh, we drove there from Roanoke, and uh, I ended up taking top eight of that GP. And on the drive home, we stopped at Chipotle. And having not eaten much all day, I ordered two full meals from Chipotle, <laughs> which I consumed. <laughs> now, to be fair, you were, like, very high keto, so you got two... Bulls, right? It wasn't too giant I went burritos. bulls deep at Chipotle. Yeah, it yeah. felt like it was just two rice and bean burritos that, like, you yeah. know, it, it was just a lot of meat and cheese. and It was. It was a lot. And <laughs> let's just say it had an effect on my body. A particularly devastating effect. So we're driving back was from... Was it a great merchant effect? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a real drain. We're traveling, so we're traveling back, and I have to, you know, when you got to go, you got to go, and there's no gas station that's open. We're, we're, we drive from gas station to gas station in this, like, area, and they're all closed, and eventually there's just nothing that can be done, and I just go behind a closed gas station, and, uh, well, we actually had to get Symbol in on it as well because he's the <laughs> waste management <laughs> yeah. operator. This was a two. Yeah. This was this involved Andreas. This involved Symbol. We had a lot of people <laughs> in on the in on it, but and unfortunately, it involved the sixteen-year-old <laughs> cashier that had to open the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I just had to go behind the the Chipotle, and all I had was just just Chipotle napkins to clean up with afterwards. So. <laughs> It was like a little bit of a crime scene back there. Yeah, we keep telling our listeners that this is only a listening podcast, but that was quite the visual, BBD. Yeah, it was. was (laughs) But I I can just only imagine some fresh-faced 16-year-old, their first day working at this gas station, coming in and just being told to go out back. And And, and clean the (laughs) human feces. Oh my god. Oh god, yeah, that's that's one heck of a GP experience. So that's why we said Andreas there early. Yeah, to, to make sure yeah. He, so he is yeah. now there to scout it out, to give us one to that's... Make sure we know which open bathrooms are out there. <laughs> and to know which cashier is opening the next day, make sure it's an adult that can handle such visual, you know, strain. I'm not gonna lie, after that weekend, I just started putting toilet paper in my trunk just in case Brian had another episode. <laughs> Actually, it was just because you're too lazy to ever bring it inside the house. But wow. that wasn't true. I legit bought a small little thing of toilet paper to leave in the car because it seems smart to have it in the car. That is smart. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Like, you know, have some water in that. Get some depends, man. Oh, I mean, that that's that's Brian and I's goal now. Ever since we learned that the hardcore Green Bay Packers fans have to dress up so much, you know, to stay warm that they just wear diapers. We're just going to go to Seahawks games like that. Without the dress up, we're just gonna wear we're diapers. Just gonna go there in diapers. I won't miss a minute of the game. We will piss and shit ourselves <laughs> yep. right there in that seventy degree heat. Yep, wow. <laughs> it'll be <laughs> rancid, but it'll be worth it. 
Wow. All right, and on that note, I think that's going to end today's episode of the Bash Bros Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and being a part of it. And we will be back next week to talk about more heinous activities, just like each week.